Today we're going to talk about the gate. Some folks uh, asked me, so you're going to talk about Bill Gates? No, I'm not talking about Bill Gates. I actually uh, went to elementary school with a fellow named Billy Gates. No, this is not the same one, uh, not the same amount of money either. A basic function, though, we know of a gate is to keep people out or to let people in. I mean, that's what a, a, a gate does. The word gate is used often in both the Old Testament and New Testament. I just want to mention a few so you know that they're there. There's the gates of the city, and speaking of Jerusalem, as the gates of the city, and that's in Nehemiah 1.3. There's also the gate of Sodom. Uh, that is in Genesis 19.1. Lot was sitting at that gate when two angels stopped by, and they had a conversation there. Uh, then there's the gates of the temple. That's seen in Nehemiah 2.8. And there's the gates of a prison. That's in Acts 12.10. And that's the gate that let Peter out of prison. That gate mysteriously opened up and let him out. And the gates of the city were a place where news was announced. That's what they did in the old times. They used those gates to announce what was going on. According to Proverbs 121, wisdom shouted at the gate. The gate is where... You have the reading of the law. That's where it took place. Not everybody could have the scriptures. Uh, there's where proclamations were read about what's going to happen in the community or, or what's going to happen when somebody gets married. By the way, when you go to premarital, you have to pass premarital to get married, just so you know. <laughs> News was attained at the gate. That's where you found out what was going on. Uh, they didn't need to go to social media to find their news. Thank goodness. Psalm 118, verse 19 says this. You don't need to turn there. It says this, and this is really important. You should put it down in your mind to look at it later on. It says, open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. What it's speaking of there, it's, a, it's sort of a figurative picture of the gate that will be enjoyed by those who follow Yahweh. Those who know him are going to be able to go through that gate. Now, I would say certainly everyone here, and I don't know all of you as well as I would like to. That's why we've invited you to our home. But certainly everyone here at Anchored wants to be at this gate, the gate of righteousness. Friends, as we approach our study of this passage, I think you will agree with me that when the Lord Jesus Christ speaks of the gate that uh, can either let you in or keep you out, you would hopefully be encouraged or hopefully be scared to death that you would do something about it. And I'm talking seriously today, that you would take a recollection of where you are with the Lord. Am I truly following him in all of his ways? Not my ways, but in his ways. But I don't want to hurry too quickly into our text today. I also want to remind you of Job 38, 17, where it speaks of gates, the gates of death. We will all face that someday if the Lord tarries. We will all come to that point where we are going to die. But Job 38, 17 says this, have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? You see, we're all going to be there one day. 
very good friend of Tom's, passed, boom, like that. Nothing, and then all of a sudden died. I hear of heart attacks, and I hear of other things that happen. The woman who went 100 miles an hour through the intersection and killed six people. It happens. That's what happens. You're going to be at that gate one day. Which one? In 1998, I took my first trip to India. While in Mumbai, I was able to see the India gate that was there. This is a famous gate. Uh, it's huge gate. It's at the harbor. It's really there to commemorate and mark the, the historical event of the king and the queen of England coming to uh, India. That was 1911. It was before I was born, just so you know that. <laughs> There's another famous gate, and it's in the Brandenburg Gate. It was a landmark to the central district of Berlin, Germany. This gate was started in 1788 and was completed years later by Frederick William II of Prussia. There are many gates in this world, many gates. But let me highlight one, one more of those many gates. This gate had years and centuries of exposure to people. It was constructed in 1420, and it became the entrance to the Forbidden City. Frankly, that's a very appropriate name for that particular gate. It was also made infamous in 1989. It was the location of a civil protest, and that civil protest brought on a massacre by the Chinese government. It's Tiananmen Square is that area that this took place in, where that famous gate is, and we, we know that picture of the tank coming up and that man standing there. That gate was called the Gate of the Heavenly Peace. Yeah, in two days, three days probably, 241 students lost their life. They were killed, murdered. 7,000 were wounded. The Gate of Heavenly Peace. But friends, this is not the only gate that could be called the Forbidden City. The gate to the eternal city of Jesus Christ is also the forbidden gate. It's the forbidden gate if you do not repent. It's the forbidden gate. You need to repent in order to be in that particular gate. And repentance means that you're turning from your sin. You're not continuing in that sin. That's what that means. Now, there are many other magnificent gates that we can talk about that have been constructed on this planet. Some of them have already been torn down and all those kinds of things. They've been raised up for different occasions and events. But entrance through these gates may be challenging at times, but possible with much effort. There's one gate that cannot, you cannot, absolutely cannot go through on your own. You do not have enough willpower to do it on your own. You do not have the key to that particular gate to get in. As a matter of fact, I could say it's impossible. It's the narrow gate that we're going to speak about today. That narrow gate is an impossible gate. Jesus makes it only accessible to those he chooses. He makes it only accessible to those he chooses. Today we are going to look at that gate. It is the gate that I would think most people in, that go to church want to go through. 
That's what they're looking for by even going to church. They think they're going to be entering that gate. I'll go so far to say that most, if not all, who attend Grace Community Church would expect to be entering that gate. And I can confirm to you, not that I know for sure, but not everybody who does is going through that gate. That's scary. That's scary. Hopefully sobering. Not everyone's going to be going through that gate. There are going to be some that are left behind to steal a movie name. The question then, beloved, is are you? Are you? Are you going through the gate? Don't think about your husband and wife. Don't think about your mom and dad. Don't think about your kids. Think about you. Where are you going? In the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, and that's why we are there, Jesus is going to make this extremely clear as to what you need, what you should be. When you professed faith in Jesus Christ, did you leave the world behind? Or are you still clinging to the waste of the world today? Is it still someplace that you're trying to put your your home and this is where you want to be? And that's all you care about? There are only two gates. By the way, we're going to see a few of these things coming up here in Matthew 7. There are only two professions of faith. There are only two foundations of which all mankind places its faith. It's one or the other. I remember witnessing to somebody, and and they were telling me how there were many pathways up the mountain to God. I said, okay, and I gave them something very extreme. Well, that's not a pathway. Oh, so you're God making determination as to what is not acceptable. There's only one way that's acceptable, and it's God's way, not our way. I cannot make up a story that would allow me to go in there. If I can put it this way, folks, there are no great gate crashers. You cannot do that in this situation. The scriptures are replete with warnings. Warnings against false faith. That only leads to destruction. Friends, as Jesus is bringing this message of the Sermon on the Mount to a conclusion, and that's what he's doing, he's wrapping it up, and one of the most powerful messages you could ever listen to, he's focusing directly on your future. He's focusing directly on where you're going to be. Where is your final existence? Jesus' sermon has many ethical and virtuous things to follow. In fact, they almost seem impossible, but Jesus is calling us to his standard, not ours. Not ours. Jesus doesn't call his followers to a life of ease and fun. No. He calls them to absolute radical conduct that proves his gift of faith to them. That's what he does. Well, let's read the scripture. So why don't you open up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. And it says there, Jesus speaking, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few 
who will find it? Few who will find it. Immediately when you preach a message like this, the question will come up from a, a dear listener out there that it sounds like I'm choosing Jesus and I'm making that decision to follow him. I just need to find the narrow gate and I can go through that narrow gate. Actually, Jesus is calling for wholehearted commitment here to the things of God, to his kingdom, to his standard, to his way. Let's go look at the passage here. First word says enter. Guess what enter means? Enter. Exactly that. Enter. Enter. It's in the imperative tense, which means it's a, an action that needs to be taken. The action is demanded upon the people. Do that. Enter. There's only his gate to enter for those who are chosen by him. You don't stand there, folks, and admire the craftsmanship. When I was in Mumbai 25 years ago and, and Chris Williams took me there and, and I'm looking at this thing massive and I'm trying to read all of the inscriptions that are on there, some of them worn out already because of the number of years that it's been there. The gate Jesus is speaking of, you enter when invited. You don't think twice about it. You don't think twice about it. You make a wholehearted commitment it's not when you feel good. It's not when things are going your way. It's not when you're happy. It's at all times that you follow him. But you see, we're so selective. When things are going my way, I'm nice and happy. When I, I like what the Lord is doing, oh, that's, this is good. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'll go to church every week. I actually went to a church this holiday for us, and I was preaching. A pastor told me as I was preaching uh, before I got up, he says, well, with the beautiful weather out there, everybody's at the lake. I went, really? You're at the lake? Well, I've heard it where, well, if it rains too much, we can't go outside, we get wet. I, I've heard, well, it's too, too uh, cold, we can't go out. It's too windy, we can't go out. I got a sniffle. I don't know that we can go out and go to church. I, I just, I chuckled at that, but I know that's the truth. I know, unfortunately, that is, is the truth. Friends, this is not the first time that God has laid out what true salvation is. He's done that over and over again with the Jewish people. Jeremiah 21.8, if you want to turn there, you may. I'll take, give you a few minutes to do that. But he makes it very clear. There is either life or there's death. There is nothing in between can't walk down the middle and think, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm okay because I can make that last decision. I'll, I'll wait until I get older. Folks, you're already older. <laughs> Jeremiah 21.8 says this, you shall say to the people, this is Yahweh telling them, this is, thus says the Lord, behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. For anyone who's not a believer here. There is only one way. And when they say by the way, the, the, the way of life is eternal life, and the way of death is eternal death. You don't just go to perdition and it's all over with and you're, you know, you're gone. 
No. Your soul lives on. And it lives on in a fiery hell and you don't want to be there. Those are the choices that we have. Those are the things that we need to think about. But we can't get there unless we know him and have repented. God did it for the Jewish people over and over. And why called the chosen people of God, some were never followed the standard. I mean, look at Mount Sinai there, over there worshiping a golden calf, and they're doing these other dumb things. They didn't want to follow God's way. And you know what? There are people in the church today that do that. And I'm serious, folks. And it's not just those who are coming in for counseling to me, okay? They're doing something about it. But there are people who are doing some very foolish things in the world, acting very unbecoming to a person who would, is a Christian, is a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, there's one way of life and there's the other way of death. Well, but I think today there are many in the church that are like those Jewish people, those Jewish folks. They attend church but they are not all in. They're not all in, and they're not Christ's. When it comes to the things of God, ah, I can do it on Sunday. It's easy. I'm around those, you know, Sunday people. There is the way of death and the way of life. We see it in Psalm 1-6. gives us a picture of the choices. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Yahweh knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. And you say, but I've never murdered anybody. Can I I tell you before I got saved? I said, I'm not a murderer, and I'm not a bank robber, and I even spend five minutes with my kids a day. I'm serious. That was my justification for being a good guy. How appalling. How appalling. Oh, I would go to church at Christmas and Easter as well. How appalling. Following the practices of God may not be easy, folks. But this road is the only road to eternal life. That is the only road that you can take. Jesus is pointing out that lukewarm commitment is not commitment at all. I, and and I, I'm, there are some of you who are here, a lukewarm commitment. You need to be all in every aspect of who you are. Today we're going to see two opposites, two different choices that delineate where entrance to the kingdom of God is found. Enter by the narrow gate. Pretty clear. Pretty clear. That entrance is a restricted passage. Not just anyone can enter. This is where you make a decision to unload the the consuming desire for earthly goods or position in society. This is where you restrict yourself from your judgmentalism of others and your unforgiving spirit. You get rid of it. This is where that complaining spirit gets lost. You you find and give it rest. The narrow gate is one of self-denial. It's one of obedience. 
The question is, do you want to get in? Then Jesus says, act like it. You want to get in? Act like it. But it's not a hall pass, or it's not a season pass that you get as you enter. When Jesus grants you this life, it's eternal life. Truly eternal life. In order to reach the pathway to eternal life, you must navigate the the narrow road, narrow gate. This entrance is so narrow that only few enter by it. I don't know in the sense of percentages of how much that is, but only few. How do I know? Verse 14, For the gate is small and the way is narrow, that leads to life, and there are few who find it from the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to see something here, and I I found this very curious. I did not see a commentator mention this or anything else. I find it curious that we encountered the gate first. We encountered the gate first, not the pathway, you come to my house for sweet summers, and I hope you do, you'll see a pathway. As a matter of fact, in years past, and I never even thought about it, we'd have our car out there in the driveway, and we'd put a sign up, enter by the narrow gate. <laughs> we didn't want you traipsing through our house and bringing all the garbage in there. We just wanted you to go right to the backyard where all the goodies are, okay? That's what we wanted. And, and it fits in that, oh, I didn't even think about that when I was starting to preach this. You come to my house, you're going to see a pathway. Bricks are laid out there that you can walk down those bricks. So why the difference? I believe that Jesus is subtly pointing out that the gate is there because he supplies the faith in order to be at that gate. He gives you that gift That gate is there, it's narrow, and only few enter by it, so he has to give you something, and he did. You did not choose Jesus Christ. The week I got saved, I was not choosing Jesus Christ. I was away on a business trip with my buddies, and we're eating, drinking, and having merry. That's what we were doing. And I even made a couple of sales. (laughs) But Jesus entered into that life and stopped No more. Your words, your works, your life did not get you to the gate. John 14, 6 says this. Please jot this down to look at later, and probably some of you have it memorized. Jesus said this, said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life No one comes to the Father. No one comes to the gate but through me. No one comes to the gate but through me. You've got to get to that gate, which is Jesus, and then you can get to the Father. Faith in Jesus Christ is the ultimate test of genuineness. No one can even get to the gate without Jesus Christ. And friends, it is not just because you have a dream and you thought about it and, oh yeah, Jesus may be wanting to save me. 
It is because you realize Jesus died for your sins. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. I do want to point this out to you because I think it's important. You know, lately, because of a lot of new people coming to the church, we've been listening to testimonies of how they came to faith in Christ. <clears throat> and I sit there and go, what? Well, that doesn't sound very genuine, coming to Christ. A whole bunch of other things. And, and I, I point some things out and then say, you need to go to the FOF class. Fundamentals of the faith. But listen to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 4. Now I make known to you, this is Paul, obviously, Brethren, the gospel, this is the gospel which I preached to you, which you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved. The gospel is what saves. Not going to church. Lots of people think going to church saves you. It does not. Being nice does not save you. Being proper does not save you. None of that saves you. <clears throat> Preach you, which you also received and which you also stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Notice it's going back to the words that Jesus Christ, that God gave to his people. You need to hold fast to those words. It's not pick, cherry picking which you, which you like. You know, the ones I like, I think I'll follow. You know, I, I can do this, but that one I can't do, so let's leave that until next week. No. No. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. When I came to Christ, that's the first thing I realized. I was not going to heaven. I was completely bankrupt. I had nothing. I was useless. Jesus Christ died for my sins. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. I believe that and, and in my dying days I will believe that. It's the only way I can get to heaven. It's the only way I can get to the gate. That's the only way I can get to the gate. You see, Ephesians 2.1 very clearly tells us that we were dead. And it says in Ephesians 2.1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Not mostly dead, not, all, not partially dead, all the way dead. I did the funeral of my sister, and she's Roman Catholic. I have no idea why they asked me to do it, but I did it. And her body was right behind me, and it was a body that was dead. I went up there and I said, if I pushed her and shoved her and called her to wake up, she can't wake up. Folks, your spiritual condition is the same thing before Christ. It's dead. I can't wake it up. Jesus can. The gospel can. How do you know that it did is the question. How do you know that you did? You see, this is a gift from God. God gives that gift it's the greatest act of unselfishness that God ever did that. Here they are. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit living eternally in perfect harmony. 
And he sends his son down there to live a life, perfect life, tempted in all things like we are, yet without sin. To take our sin, to take our punishment that we deserve. I wish I could punish myself enough to be able to do that. I can't. Only Jesus can because he was perfect. God sent his son for your wretched sin is what he did. He now covers you in righteousness. So when God's looking down, he looks down and he sees Bill or Tom or Carl or anybody else in this room, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ covering us. That's what he does. This is not something that you or I could ever do on our own. I love what Jesus says in, in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. He, he makes it so, so clear who initiates this salvation. Very clear. And he says this, No one can come to me, that's Jesus, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. The Father and the Son are in cahoots, you can say. And they're going, they're in this business. <clears throat> and they're going to do it. Now, folks, we've been talking about that narrow gate and seeing that narrow gate. And the only way that you can see that narrow gate is not going down a path. It's already been placed there by faith that Jesus Christ will have you come in. But there's another gate. This is the other way. This is the way that, that they call the Broadway. And if you've ever been to New York City, it's the Broadway. I used to work there. Okay, it's a very broad way. All kinds of things on that block. You wouldn't want to go anywhere near that. It used to be, in my day when I worked there, you couldn't go down that block without being assaulted. <laughs> Probably the same way. This is the way that leads to death, to destruction, and to devastation. Going through that way. This gate, this broad gate, though is easy to see. It's easy to negotiate. There's no difficulty with it. You don't need a key. This is a gate that has no warning signs, and it is easy to enter. This gate allows you to bring your bag and your baggage. This is a gate of self-indulgence. This is a gate of self-pity. You know, you feel sorry for yourself all the time. This is the gate of victimization kind of gate, you know, if you want to throw that in there. Friends, this gate is populated, even overpopulated, with those who only have an interest in self. This gate is populated by people who went to church. This gate, though, is like the poison apple of Sleeping Beauty. It looks good. Take a bite of it and you're not going to descend into oblivion. This is the gate of easy believism. I'm going to pick on one particular gate crasher. Okay, I'm going to call him a gate crasher. E easy believism. These are the people of the so-called church. Uh, just one thing before I get there. I'm looking at the clock to see if I have enough time. I was in Georgia with a, one of our graduates and preaching down there, and we had a day of um, recreation, and we're driving. We're seeing a church on every block. I don't know. We drove for 20, 40 blocks or whatever it was. And I said, well, is the gospel preached there? No, no, no. It must have passed 20, 30 churches. Not one 
was preaching the gospel. Easy believism is that kind of beginning. These are people in the so-called church. And he's even a, a denomination that I would say is probably the highest populated unbelieving church denomination in the world. But I don't want to say who they are. I have friends that are in that denomination. They say whatever they want to be legitimate in the kingdom. Their salvation is because they did something. I raised my hand. I walked an aisle. I signed a card. I even got baptized. By the way, folks, baptism, even in the waters at Grace Community Church, doesn't sanctify you any more than anywhere else. Okay? That's enough that I can get into the narrow gate. All I have to do is those things. A friend that was on staff here years ago, he told me uh, when he was a pastor, he did a youth thing for 400 kids. He said at the time that he was doing it, he was not saved. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just so you know that. And he said, yeah, we had uh, 400 kids there, and it was my last message, and he said, we have one barrel that was um, there, and it was Martell, and we have one barrel that was marked um, heaven, okay? And we gave the kids a card, told them to put their name on it, and put their card in which barrel they wanted to go in, right in front of everybody else. But in the hell barrel, they had some burning going on. <laughs> All 400 kids got saved. I don't think so. I don't think so. That's a sad commentary on what the church does today. I was at an Awana conference, and I can say it now because we don't have Awana here. And um, I was one of the leaders okay, there because they wanted me to be able to speak into the life of these children. And every day, every message, I see the same kid get up and, and want to profess faith in Christ. He goes forward. So I happened to get him on the last day. And he says, well, I want to give my life to Christ. I said, have you ever done this before? He says, hundreds of times. Then I said, I'm not going to let you. <laughs> have you ever done evangelism like that? No, I'm not going to let you. <laughs> I'm not going to let you. Why did I do that? Because if he's done it hundreds of times, how does he know? Because I then went, obviously went back and, well, well why would you do it there? And why would you do it there? You can only give your life to Christ once. He's got you. He's not going to let you go. He's not going to let you go. So, raising your hand, getting saved in an Awana rally or whatever it is, or going to a church that has a, trash can that's got burning hell in there is not enough to get saved. And, and when people say, well, I go to church, it's like when I met my neighbor, 1985, and, and, and we walk in, we start talking to him, and, and he says, oh, yeah, I go to, I, I go to, you go to church? And I start talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was doing the moonwalk <laughs> away from me. He didn't talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, he just talked about going to the church. Since we're in Matthew, why don't you look at Matthew 7, 21. We're going to look at this in a few weeks. Jesus gives us a very exacting statement here as to what his standards are. 
He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So even those who say, Lord, Lord, you know, maybe even have their hands raised when they say it. Maybe even say it in a different tongue. I don't know. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But, and this is, this is really extremely important, listen to this, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Are you doing the will of God? You go sin and sin again and sin again. Are you doing the will of God? Now, I, folks, I know some of you may say, but Bill, you're just looking for perfection. Not really. Not really. We'll talk about that. Matthew 12, 50, if you want to turn there, he says, whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother, and he my sister and mother. Jesus is making it clear those are his people. It's not just by blood. It's by life, how you live it. Following the scriptures. That's what you knew to do. That brings about a new attitude of life and all of those kinds of things. Folks, you are in the path or through the gate. You're, you have eternal life. Now, there's nothing that you can do to attain that salvation. Brokenness, yes. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. But once you have it, you can't lose it either. When you get saved, your affections, that means the things you love, the things that you want, the things that you uh, are, are pointing to, your affections are for the things of God. They should progressively grow. That's called sanctification, folks. The choices of things in this life become narrower and narrower, as the, the, does the gate and the pathway. But your reward is eternal life with the Savior. While the narrow way is difficult, it's exacting, yes, it leads to life eternal. That wide road is easy, but it leads to destruction. Having been on that wide road for 30 or so years, it seems like fun, and it was seemingly a party. It was giving me everything that I wanted. At least I thought it was. There's no neutrality, though, when you come to Christ. There's no compromise when you come to Christ. You're either sold out for him or you're sold out for yourself. The gospel immediately changes desires. That is what salvation does. Not because of Jesus. Now, because of Jesus, you want him and you want his way. And as I said, it's not the perfect life. That may be something that you would think that we're looking for, but it's the desire for that. It's, it's taking your everything that you are and trying to be that kind of person but at the same time, not having everybody else to that standard, it's your standard. Because of the unique position I am in, I have seen homosexuals, I've seen adulterers, 
I've seen thieves. I've seen all kinds of people that were fighters and all kinds of things embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. And their life has changed completely and thoroughly because they embraced him. They want him more than anything else. They want him more than their previous sin. Jesus was asked this exceptionally good question. I want you to know it was an exceptionally good question. In Luke 13, why don't you turn there? Luke 13, <clears throat> verse 23 through 24. And someone asked him this question and said, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? That's a good question. That's exactly what he was preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Folks, it would be the hard, most horrible thing that you get to the end of your life and somehow you realize that your playing around in this life has kept you out of the best life. That's what this is talking about. I believe that many of those who are seeking to enter but are not able are those who attend church. Folks, people outside the church don't care. Some folks outside the church are worshiping Satan. They don't care. But it's the people inside the church. They're seeking. But they're really not seeking. So, Bill, do I have to be perfect? No. Sermon on the Mount asks for perfection, shows perfection. Jesus begins to intrude not only on your life, but on your thinking. That's what he does in, in Matthew. As I was going through that, I'm going, man, alive. I, I've got to pick up my standard here. I've got to be better at this, you know? Because the standard is so high. Beloved, the picture here is that there's two destinations. One through the narrow gate, hard in this life to live for Christ. Uh, some of you have had that standard uh, questioned in your workplace and in your home and all of that kind of thing. But the reward is great. The other gate is easier, but the result is horrible. I pray this is sobering to your heart. It was sobering to my heart as I studied through it. Not to frighten you, not to frighten you, but to see things seriously. It's not only found in the New Testament. I want to take you back to a psalm which I've, I love, Psalm 73. Asaph is the writer of this psalm. It is sobering. It is awakening to your mind and your heart. And let me just read some of it for you at first. But surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. You may even say that, so God is truly good to those Christians. You know, we're doing everything all right, you know, and then all of a sudden you start running into trouble. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. Listen to this. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant, as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, 
and their body is fat. There are not, they are not in trouble or, uh, as other men. Nor are they plagued like mankind. They don't have any troubles, folks. You ever look at somebody and, wow, I mean, I, you drive through Beverly Hills. Look at that big house. Look at that Lamborghini. Oh, and there's a Porsche over there, too. And, and there's a Maserati. And I don't even know the rest of the names. <laughs> but you see these things and you go, wow. You can start being jealous. Verse 6, therefore, pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. Their imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. You hear all of this and all that they have. Look what they have. Don't ever look at anybody else. What they have. Whatever you have is much more than most people on this planet. But now look at verse 23. Nevertheless, the, the psalmist begins to think about his position and his rela um, relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, with, with God, with Yahweh. He says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. I don't know about you, but that is a comfort, isn't it? That in the end, he's going to take us to glory anyway. Think about your life. Well, you could put a, a whole diary of all the sins that you've ever done. He's taking you to heaven if you're his? Incredible that he would do that. Whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. That's the broad way, folks. They're, they think they're looking for him, some. But they're really not. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. And what am I meaning by that, folks? Because I know we're all sinners, okay? You, you join the club, you know, we're all sinners. But there are some who practice their sin. Practice their sin. That's what I'm talking about. And they do it and they feel bad about it. But they do it again anyway. I mean, Jesus said, cut off your hand, pluck out your eye, cut off your foot. And I don't think he's looking for pirates, he wants you to do something about it. Verse 28, But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Beloved, coming to Christ is not just a decision of the mind, but you have to count the cost of what that is going to truly be as you walk with him. That's what it's about. It's not easy. I, I, I declare that. It's friends, it's not going to be easy. When we started the journey through Sermon of the, on the Mount, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. 
He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You have to first know, folks, if you are not, if you're here and you're not saved, you have to know, first of all, you're a wretched sinner. You're poor. You're bankrupt. You need him and only him. That's what you need to know. You first need to know that your utter depravity and sinfulness before a holy God, you are unworthy. I think we sang that in the song today. You are unworthy. Let's pray. Father God, as our time is done, Lord, I pray that we have just a few moments here where each of us could take that heart examination that you asked for in Psalm 139. David goes through that heart exam and he says this, search me, O God, and know my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me. Lord God, may we all take that examination. May we all look at what you are doing and see the goodness of God in it. Father, I pray that uh, if there's anyone here who has a question, they can go to Carl, they can come to myself, they can speak to Tom or to one of the other men here or women um, before they go home, that they would truly know whether they love you with their whole heart, mind, and soul, because that's what it's about. We pray this in your name. Amen.